0: Welcome to Trending in Education, the HuggyBot edition. I'm very happy to be joined by Alexis Block, who is a doctoral fellow with the Max Planck ETH Zurich Center for Learning Systems program. Alexis, welcome to Trending in Education.
1: Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So you're doing really interesting work. I like to talk about things that are zeitgeisty. This is very much of this time in terms of the work that you're doing. You're doing stuff on robotics and hugs. You've designed something called the HuggyBot. There's now a HuggyBot 2.0, I believe. We're going to get into all that in a moment. But before we do that, let's get to know you a bit. Can you tell us who you are, uh, your origin story, how you got to this point in your professional life?
1: Sure. You mentioned I'm Alexis Block. And I think I really just stumbled upon this field. I only got really interested in engineering when I was in high school. I was really interested in aerospace engineering. I went to the Intel ISEF, the International Science and Engineering Fair, for an ionic propulsion project. And I really thought that was what I was going to do with my life. But I ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania for my undergraduate degree and they don't have an aerospace program. So I was a mechanical engineer and I had a really great internship lined up at JPL one summer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory which fell through when they lost some funding. And I went to my academic advisor and I said, oh my gosh, it's April. I was supposed to start this summer internship in May what am I going to do? And she said, how about you come work in my lab? And I said, what do you do? So her name was Dr. Katherine Kuchenbecker, and she ran the haptics lab at the University of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And that is how I ended up getting started in this field. And I worked on a couple different projects, but I saw an older PhD student of hers Working with the Baxter robot doing hand clapping games that student was Naomi Fitter mm. and I was so just enthralled by the work that she was doing so when it came time for me to choose a master's thesis project I asked Dr. Kuchenbecker if I could switch from doing more haptics related work to doing HRI which is human robot interaction yeah and she said sure so there was an old PR2, which which is a robot called the Personal Robot 2 made by Willow Garage, and she said you can use this one, see what you can do with it, and we were talking about different projects, things that might be interesting, and at the time we were living in Philadelphia and our families were far away, hers was in California, mine was in Wisconsin and Chicago, And we both just wanted a hug from our moms (laughs) or our grandma if you're going through a bit of a tough time. And we thought, wouldn't it be so wonderful if there was a way to send customized hugs to your loved ones who are far away? Mm -hmm. And that's really where this whole project started.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely... We're ahead of the curve, I think, in some of the things you were looking into, particularly in light of the the, the crazy times we've all been in uh, since the pandemic hit, where the social isolation and inability to hug our loved ones has become so much more top of mind, really for everyone. What's that been like? It's got to be, because you're still, you're very close to completing your doctorate, but you're actively doing research about hugs and and the HuggyBot, which we should really give HuggyBot its due next, but the fact that you're doing this through the pandemic, which in some ways makes it more relevant, but at the same time makes it logistically even more complicated to do research. we got plenty to talk about. And then you also just came up with six commandments of robotic hugs. So just to take a step back, can we give folks some context around how HuggyBot came into being?
1: Sure. As I mentioned, I started working on HuggyBot when I was a master's student at Penn, and this was using Willow Garage's PR2, and I gave this robot custom hardware and software upgrades. So I made the robot soft, I made it warm, and then I had it hugged for different durations and by applying different amounts of pressure on the user to find What are the ideal combinations of these four parameters uh, that make a good hugging robot?
0: Yeah, your hardware upgrades were making the robot softer.
1: So then it came time to select my PhD program, and I had some really wonderful options, and I ended up moving to Germany. My professor, Dr. Kuchenbecker, had just become a director at the Max Planck Institute here in Stuttgart, and I had been accepted to the Center for Learning Systems program, and this really gave me the opportunity to continue working on this Huggybot project that I was so passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things about PhD programs, a lot of the time you have to work on what project has funding. And the really beautiful thing about coming here and working in Germany is that they can fund research for the sake of research. So I really had this wonderful flexibility and privilege to study whatever was interesting to me. Yeah. And so that was really quite an honor. And I'm lucky enough to have a professor who supports my research endeavors and and shares a vision with me. And we both felt that there was more work to be done on HagiBot. So we decided to continue with this project. And we could not move the PR2 from Philadelphia to Germany. So we looked at purchasing other robotic platforms, but none of them really seemed suited for human robot hugs, I decided that the best idea would be to build my own robot, maybe somewhat naively. I didn't realize what an, an undertaking that was, but I went for it. And so I built my own custom hugging robot. And that is what we now know as HuggyBot 2.0. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And it's, I've run several different tests with it. I've made some more improvements. We even have a Huggy Bat 3.0 right now, but we wow. haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been a, a really wonderful experience and journey and I'm really proud of uh, what we've built.
0: Yeah. It's a fascinating space that you're in because uh, one of the spaces obviously is ro- robotics, but the other is the HRI, which you mentioned human uh, robotic, human robot interaction. Is that the name of the
1: That's
0: correct, human-robot interaction. Yeah, so HRI is a really interesting space, uh, particularly for those of us who are thinking about the future of work. Humans and robots are likely going to be interacting in professional settings. But what I found really fascinating about the space you're in is that it's looking more at the the social-emotional side of things. I like to quote Whitney Houston and say, I get social-emotional, baby. But yeah, but the fact that you're in this social-emotional space, but you're thinking about robots... And then, and then you bring in the dimension of the, the pandemic where what might've seemed as a more abstract idea, even though everyone underst- understands the value of a hug, but it's, you know, I'm just gonna hug another person. And then suddenly something happens so that the idea of being able to send a virtual hug that is not actually virtual, it is in fact something you feel and that we can be measuring what feels better for a human at this time when a lot of us are, are suffering and feeling lonely and feeling uh, disconnected. It's had to have been a, a really fascinating, you're, you're doing fascinating research to begin with, but then how does this crazy time that we're living in intersect with what you're doing?
1: Totally, and thank you for those kind words of support. You really hit the nail on the head there. When I first started, most people when I told them I was building a hugging robot, laughed at me and told me that if they wanted a hug, they would just go hug a friend. There was a a now this media video about my research on Facebook that had tons and tons of comments about, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why are people wasting their time and energy and money on this? I'll just go hug my friend. And I like to think that I was thinking about physical separation and, and physical distance before it was cool. Yeah. And I choose to use that term physical distance rather than maybe the more popular social distance mm-hmm. because I think that's really what's key here is that we are physically separating but that doesn't mean that we should be socially separating. We should still strive Uh, to remain socially close, and to be reinforcing our relationships, and be in contact with friends and family members. Mm -hmm. That's really, I think, some of the most important elements. And so in a way, while it feels maybe somewhat bad to say, this pandemic has been somewhat good for research, in that it has really shown people the importance of physical touch, Mm -hmm. who might not have otherwise understood or who otherwise couldn't have imagined a time or any experience where they might not be able to receive physical social touch from someone else. In a way, it's been a blessing that it, it helps people take my research a little more seriously now. But. Yeah. Uh, Never too seriously. We always like to keep it light and have yeah. a little laugh with it.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just hugs. But, but hugs are really important. Yeah. It does remind me of Harry Harlow's research back in the day in psychology, cloth mother, wire mother. And you, you also mentioned haptics uh, before. Like, well, that
1: That in that, uh, that study actually inspired the soft. We tested a, a soft versus a hard robot exactly because of Harlow and Zimmerman's work.
0: Yeah. And I've been fascinated by that for some time too. Just more the the therapeutic uses of robots, particularly children in uh, critical care or cancer units, where, where they don't—even if there's plenty of visitation—there's times where they're just going to be on their own. And sure, they could have a stuffed animal, but something that responds in the ways that humans are used to interacting with through touch is a really interesting space. And that's very much what the six. Six commandments, although I hear there may be more, be on the lookout for more commandments, but we have at least six commandments that we can talk about today. Is that correct?
1: That's right. There are currently six hug commandments and there are five more on the way, but there are six that we can talk about today.
0: Uh, so can, can you jump into that? And then we'll be sharing out this article, so it'll be in our show notes. So our listeners will will be able to, to read along with us, but I'd love to get in your own words, Alexis, like what are... How do they relate to each other? Paint us a picture. Tell us tell us the story of, of hugging robots.
1: Sure. So we, as I mentioned, built this new hugging robot, Huggybot 2.0, and we built off what we learned from our large-scale user study with the first HuggyBot. And we wanted to come up with guidelines to help future creators of hugging robots or other robots that may come into close physical contact with people. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you think about robots that work on an assembly line in a factory, there's a large red box on the floor marking out the robot's workspace that basically tells the human workers around it, do not enter the robot workspace. And here what we're really saying is we're inviting the person to come as close as possible to the robot. So we wanna make sure that it's as enjoyable and comfortable an experience as possible. Mm-hmm. So the first three um, commandments relate to the physical properties of a hugging robot. And the last three relate to the behavioral characteristics of the robot. Mm-hmm. So we believe that physically, a hugging robot should be soft, should be warm, and should be size similar to an adult human. Mm-hmm. And this is because, as you mentioned just a little bit ago, children in hospitals can hug teddy bears or, or other small plush comfort objects, but what's really missing there is the active touch back to them, or what we call deep pressure touch therapy. Mm-hmm. This is extremely calming, it lowers your cortisol levels, which affects your stress level. And it it can improve oxytocin levels, which is your feeling of social bond and love. And it can lower your heart rate and all these other wonderful things for you. And that's when someone provides you with this deep pressure touch. Mm -hmm. So being sized similar to an adult human is important because you can provide that to a child or an adult. But if it's a small form factor, you Mm -hmm. can't really Provide that to people of all different sizes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that. What's interesting? Those all sound intuitive to me. What's interesting is to think about the the negative use cases. Like I I can immediately imagine almost like a jokey video of the the, the failing hug cases because it's kind I of
1: some of those videos. I, I, I imagine
0: <laughs> we we may we may want to follow up on that, but it is just funny if it's hard, cold. And, so I've got and, those for you. I've the got wrong, those
1: for you. And the wrong <laughs> so size. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's something that's important that the, the work that we did. I, so, this largely the first two being soft and being warm that builds off of my prior work from my master's thesis, mm-hmm. where you're right, we were confirming an intuition, mm-hmm. but that doesn't negate novelty because mm-hmm. while we thought, that these might be the best conditions because they're closest to how humans hug mm-hmm. you can't necessarily be sure that the same properties will hold true for a robot and you still need to test the alternative conditions and and really verify that intuition that it holds true yeah so it is still important
0: absolutely and even the idea that being larger is better rather than being switched again it is an intuition once you say it but you also have to do the research to, to back it up and you never know; there may be some surprising developments as the research gets more uh, nuanced. Around we expected this, but it turns out subjects actually appreciate these other attributes even more. More interested. So we can
1: find some of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, in the first study that we ran on on the original Huggybot with the PR two robot, we. As I mentioned, we tested different kinds of hugging pressures and hugging durations. And so obviously we thought, okay, if the robot releases after the user is ready, they're not gonna like that. But if the robot releases when the user releases, fine. If it releases a little early, that's probably no problem too. but people took that so personally and people (laughs) disliked the robot releasing them too early just as much as they disliked the robot holding on to them too long that was quite surprising and we also found when we were testing the pressures obviously we didn't think people would like being hugged too loosely we also thought people wouldn't like it if they were squeezed by a robot because we thought uh, people might be afraid. They might yeah. think the robot was malfunctioning or didn't know they were there and might harm them. Yeah. So we thought, okay, like a medium pressure is going to be the best. Almost all of our participants told us that the squeeze condition, where it was hugging them the tightest, mm. was mm. their favorite because mm. they felt that the robot was giving them some emotional support or trying to show them that the robot cared for them, uh, which was really a surprising find. And that kind of leads me into the three behavioral commandments. And so the first one is that a hugging robot should visually perceive and react to an approaching user. And so this was when we were testing different kinds of ways to initiate a hug. So the robot shouldn't have to initiate a hug by a button press, either by the experimenter, which is what we did in the original study with yeah. HuggyBot1, or by the user, which we tested with this one, or even a remote hugging partner, which some other current hugging robots, they do telehugs, where yep. you've seen this with lamps, or you've seen this with bracelets, where two people wear the same item, and they tap on it, and... But that kind of requires that you have a hugging partner who's available to give you a hug at the exact moment you need it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this commandment is really saying that the robot autonomously should perceive that a user is coming towards it and wants a hug and be able to initiate a hug whenever this person wants a hug.
0: Yeah. And do that in Mm -hmm. a way that's probably not surprising. Because when you were talking, it was like a Venus flytrap suddenly spring hug. (laughs) That would probably... (laughs) provoke a little bit of a a fear response it is funny too that there's all this talk of of the robot overlords and and fear robot fear i like to talk about the uncanny valley a lot and i imagine that's something that that you've spent some time thinking about as well let's come back to that because i want to get through the put a pin (laughs) in it we'll come back to the uncanny valley but but can you can you just give us the 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 quick rundown of the other behavioral ones
1: two more, two more behavioral commandments. So the next one is that the robot should autonomously adapt its embrace to the size and position of the user's body rather than hug in a constant manner. So people come in all different shapes and sizes and everybody deserves a hug and a good quality embrace that doesn't squeeze them too tightly and also doesn't leave any gaps. Mm -hmm. So it should uh, provide a custom embrace to everyone's body position and body shape. That's really important. And finally, that the robot should reliably detect and react to a user's desire to be released from a hug regardless of his or her arm positions. Mm -hmm. So this one was really important. I noticed in my past study, everyone has a very different way of hugging. Some people put both arms around their hugging partner's neck. Some put both arms around their hugging partner's waist. And some people put one arm around the neck and one arm around the waist. And you want to be able to accommodate for all different hugging arm positions mm-hmm. and, and it should work every time, no matter what.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's It does make you think it's, it. this makes real for me the idea that I talk about a lot, which is that we do research into robotics and AI in some ways to understand better what it means to be human. And this (laughs) feels like that to me, where it does feel also sound like if we wanted to teach humans how to hug better, this research is, is enormously valuable on that front as well.
1: I remember in preparation for my master's research, I hugged like a hundred different people to just figure out what is important? What are the components of a good hug?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So it's definitely really important. And actually hugs sound like a very trivial topic on the surface, but when you actually get down into it and implementing all of these commandments on a robot, it is much more complicated than just, oh, a hugging robot, it sounds so fun. It sounds so light and it is, it's wonderfully fun but it is very technical and it is very challenging as well.
0: Yeah, and there's lots of places where you can go wrong. So there's some softballs maybe around make it plush and warm. But then once you get into the behavioral side and even the the physical design of the robot? What, is it, what does the robot look like? How human is it? Uh, that's where the idea of the uncanny valley comes in, where if Definitely the robot- something
1: to be aware of. Yeah.
0: So can you flesh that out a little bit as someone who's who's actually negotiating some of these uh, decisions? How do you design a robot in a way that doesn't creep people out and doesn't trigger some of the deep fear responses that we have in, in the back of our minds?
1: Totally, the, the uncanny valley is definitely something that robotic designers and creators need to be aware of and, and constantly take into consideration to avoid. So this is when something looks or feels too human, but isn't quite there. And there's you know something missing something off and people really dislike the robot because they feel maybe almost it's like deceptive. It's trying to be, but it's not quite there. So one thing that really helped uh, was the working with a user centered design process. So this is where you make a lot of rapid prototypes and check back in with your end users and get their feedback. So before I even ran an in-person user study with the robot, I took some videos of my robot. I took some pictures and I posted an online survey and I got feedback from 117 users. And I had them evaluate the robot's behavior, the robot's appearance, the robot's, people commented on the outfit that the robot was wearing, the voice of the robot. I even changed the color of the face of the robot. And all of these little things all come together to create a more enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's definitely really important from, I would say the beginning to consider your end users and to have them somewhat involved in the design process to make sure that what you create is going to be appealing to your end users.
0: Yeah. And it reminds me of Donald Norman, one of the founders of uh, user experience design, that one of the popularizers of, of the, the concept. He wrote a book called Emotional Design. And in many ways, what you're doing is designing an emotional experience as much as a physical one and that's the dimension of this that I, I think is so uh, resonant in these times where we all feel these needs. And you talked a bit before we were both brainstorming a bit about some potential applications of this research. Is there any anything that jumps to mind there that we haven't talked about so far? Sure.
1: So when I first think about where might HuggyBot go in the future, right now, obviously, the cost per HuggyBot is quite high. There's only one. <laughs> so I think it would make sense to initially target larger institutions where many people could benefit from a single hug you buy. As I mentioned before, we came up with this idea when I was at the University of Pennsylvania. And when I ran that first user study, I got to tell you during final season, I had people knocking on the lab door asking me, can I get a hug from the robot? I'm really stressed out. So I definitely think a college campus, a university would be an excellent place, and I can see tons of college students wanting to get a hug. Mm -hmm. Also, nursing homes or hospitals, as you mentioned, with the pandemic, we are lucky enough that we're still able to run user studies at our institution during the pandemic, but we've definitely heightened our health safety measures, including a thorough sanitization of the robot in between each user, which would obviously be necessary at any hospital. But since we've been able to do it here, we've maybe not perfected the system, but we've gotten much better at it and realized that it could really be possible and could be beneficial and helpful in those cases maybe. Mm-hmm.
0: We're gonna hear from this HuggyBot and I don't mean a postcard. And <laughs> as we're wrapping up, are there other any other ideas around the the HuggyBot that you wanna make sure we haven't touched on that that folks should hear about, think about? Any other new research uh, that's maybe on the horizon for you? Sure.
1: I mentioned these six hug commandments. We've currently got a paper under review that presents five more hugging commandments. Uh, so you'll have to stay tuned for that. And I'm really excited. Pretty soon, we will begin running a user study where we're looking at investigating the physiological response to hugging a robot. Which should mm-hmm. be very exciting
0: got it so shifting a bit more to the human side of the equation to
1: definitely mm-hmm. up until now we've been really focused on the design the creation the building the programming of the robot and designing the behavior of the robot and now we're looking at we think we've made a pretty good robot how does that affect people how does it have an effect on people was it even a worthwhile endeavor to build this robot? Maybe not, yeah. um, but that's still, even if it's not, that's still a valuable thing to learn.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound like even if the broader applications may take a little time to mature, the the value of the research in many ways has been borne out by the, even the relevance of this conversation and the amount of, of good press the HuggyBot and you and the team are getting. Alexis Block. Thank you so much for joining a really wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you.
0: And for our listeners, hopefully you're enjoying this. Let us know what you think at Trending in Ed on Twitter. Follow us wherever you get your pods. Share the love. Write us a review. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.